Welcome to another Belling History with the Good Time Girls, a hyper-local podcast about the quirky history of Bellingham, Washington, and the fourth corner of these United States. Even though we like to keep things close to home, these stories are no less entertaining to the masses and those who find themselves, unfortunately, outside of the Pacific Northwest. We are your hosts. I am Ren. I'm Colby. We are the co-owners of Belling History Tours, also known as the Good Time Girls. You can learn more about that tour business at our website, bellinghistory.com. Today's episode is called Bad Lady <laughs> Lady Barber Town or the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. No, Lorena Upper, the female barber of Holly Street. Today we have another re-release episode from Bad Town Season 2 of the City of Subdued podcast, which we got to co-host with Annika Fleming and Maria Dalla Gasparina and our beloved Good Time Girls founder, Marissa McGrath. And we did all this back in 2020. So they're a few years old, and we've been re-listening to them and giving a little bit of updates to go along with it if we have anything new, insightful to say. So if you want to give them a re-listen and hear our little new thoughts, please do, or you can just see us in the spring. Listen to us back when we get some new episodes that we have time to research during these dark months. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for this one because it just happens to combine my favorite subjects, hair and history. So it's fun to have our founding mother, Marissa, on this one again to do a deep dive into the social context of this case. But let's get on to the story. Annika, and welcome to Bad Town, where we discuss the darkest and the baddest parts of Bellingham and Whatcom County history. We are joined today by our season two co-hosts, Marissa. Hi. And Colby. Hi, everybody. From the Good Time Girls. So uh, what story do you have for me this week? We're going to tell you about a case study about a woman named Lorena Upper from Bellingham that takes place in April of 1922. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. Until <laughs> So far, I'm, I'm totally sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> so who was Lorena and uh, what did she do in Bellingham? So Lorena was a barber at a time in history when there were very few women who were specifically barbers. Women styled women's hair and men styled men's hair. And never the twain was supposed to meet. It was considered too like titillating for a man to get his hair done by a woman and extremely way too forward for a man to be styling a woman's hair. So in the 1920s, this started to change. It started to change in the late 1800s and there would have been very few schools that would even train a woman to cut hair. Yeah. And she had worked in many different places and had chairs in different barber shops. It was really common for uh, the woman barber in a, in a barber shop to be kind of like sexualized a little bit. It was considered kind of racy to have a lady barber. I kind of think of it as like the foxy latte stand type. Yeah. <laughs> like, treatment um but the idea that oh this woman was going to touch you and you know maybe her boob was going to great rush up against you 
So she didn't have to like pull shots in a G string to be sexualized. Pretty no, much. no. She was just a woman touching you in a very, you know, kind of familiar and kind of intimate way and like tending to your needs. And it's all just very exciting. Oh, God. Should we put a rating on this? <laughs> <laughs> so where exactly did Lorena come from and what brought her to Bellingham? Lorena was originally from California. She was born there, but she had been around by the time she came to Bellingham um she stated during her trial that uh she learned the barber trade in Vancouver BC in 1906 she worked for 14 years as a barber do you know if it was more common in Canada to train a woman to be a barber i don't know i suspect um that her training was not formal <laughs> Oh, okay. As in a school and that she just maybe apprenticed or learned it on her own. I don't know. But she worked in Calgary, Astoria, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, and Aberdeen, which are all places that also had a lot of hanky-panky going on. But but who didn't? I, right. <laughs> she was 21 with a two-year-old when she met her husband, Louis Upper, in Vancouver. I'm not sure who the father of her daughter is, um, but she took her stepfather's name. So I discovered Lorena when I was actually researching a building that was a brothel in later years. So it was a building called the Tamar Rooms, which is basically the parking lot between Fourth Corner Frames and the current Cabin Tavern on Holly Street. And the building's not there anymore. It's a parking lot. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, wait, is there a building there? <laughs> no, it's the parking lot. But it was a two-story, um, really narrow, wood frame Victorian building. It had bay windows on the top floor. And the Tamar rooms were on the top floor. And Lorena's barber shop, she opened on the bottom floor before really the Tamar rooms became a thing, but pretty close in time. And there was a tailor in the building, right? And who, and other kind of normal, right. other normal businesses. Yes. So yeah, she opens a shop in this building on Holly Street. Okay. So what what happens after she opens her shop on Holly Street? Does she just open it and become automatically successful or what what happens well as often happens in cases where women are pioneers it didn't go super great lorena um, shows up in the newspapers for the first time i think in april 18th of 1922 because there's a case coming up against her charges under the red light statute were filed by the prosecuting attorney in town the red light statute being she's being accused of prostitution do you want me to read the statement Mm -hmm. says Mrs. Lorena Upper, Lady Barber at 309 West Holly Street, was in Superior Court late yesterday to answer why her shop should not be closed for six months and why she should not be fined $300 in accordance with the request of prosecuting attorney Loomis Baldry, who is seeking to invoke the Red Light Abatement Act of Injunction on grounds that the shop has been used for immoral purposes, period. <laughs> so... What exactly does this mean for Lorena then? Did she have to pay a ticket? Did she have to go to jail? What happened? She's likely going to be placed on prohibitive use of the building for six months. So she's going to have to close for six months and be fined $300, which is like $4,000 in, in money today. And this happens because she's got some neighbors who are claiming that she is operating a brothel, which technically it was against the law but it wasn't really against the rules in the 1920s you just were supposed to do certain things and one of them was you could absolutely be a madam and own a brothel 
but you were supposed to be registered with the police department and the mm-hmm. health department. And your staff, they were supposed to be the ones having the sex for money. The madam wasn't supposed to have sex for money. So the specific allegations are that she is performing sex work on her clients and people who are going in there to get their hair cut. But also at the same time, there's accusations that her 19-year-old daughter is a prostitute because of some of the of the behavior that she is witnessed as <laughs> displaying. So 1922, we're talking like height of women starting to become more sexually independent and mm-hmm. have more agency. So pretty much rumors started from nosy neighbors. It's like old-timey next-door app drama. Absolutely. Yes. A thousand percent. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So were there any specific claims being made? Or how did officials get enough information to bring forth actual charges? So the, this guy Bennett, who owns, who's the tailor next door, the tailor's employee goes and stands on it, pulls a trunk up and stands on it and looks through the window. And he said he saw something decidedly raw, but he's never asked to explain what it is in court. He just saw something raw. Also, is it legal at this time to peep into people's windows? If it, if it wasn't legal, that nothing was done about it. And he was able to present that evidence in court without anybody. It doesn't sound like anyone really questioning it. Can I just point out real quick that th- that all of our information that we've been using here just came from articles in the Bellingham Herald at the time reporting on the trial. And I haven't actually read any of the transcriptions from the trial or anything like that. So you have to take it kind of with a grain of salt. Yeah, it's going through this really sensationalized lens. So that's always really interesting. But the thing is, is that she says in court that Bennett, the guy that the tailor from next door, gave her a black eye, that they were arguing in the street. She didn't say what it was about, but basically it sounded like she was saying, they're trying to push me out of here. You're trying to push me out of here and I'm not going anywhere. And he punched her in the face and gave her a black eye. So that's also not brought up as in the newspapers as something that should be pursued or it's very, they actually say she's spilling neighborhood affairs freely. Like Mm. she's basically being a gossip in the, in the trial. And by saying that she got punched in the face. And also at, at trial, this guy named Noel Provanci, who owns a big tobacconist shop just uh, like a block away, is saying he's also heard that that it's a pretty bad place and that there's something going on there. It, from the quotes that they use in the newspaper, nobody once says, she's a prostitute, she's a madam, they're doing sex work. It's all very innuendo-y. It's like, I saw something decidedly raw. And then it's a pretty bad place. And I've heard all kinds of things are going on over there. And that's that's the evidence that they use. <laughs> and it works. She's actually convicted. Wow. I have a, a thought that's kind of popping into my head. It's definitely not the same. Like, I'm not going to equate Lorena Upper's experience as a old-timey Bellingham business owner to being a woman in the Salem Witch Trials. But I am seeing some parallels. It seems like it doesn't take a lot of evidence to put a woman in jail if there's enough rumors and hearsay going around. Yeah. And she doesn't actually have to go to jail, but she does have to pay the $300 fine and shut her business. But yeah, I I mean, you could say that this is a witch hunt. You could also say that throughout history over and over and over again, women just sort of sticking their necks out and trying to do to kind of push up against society's ideas about what they're supposed to be doing makes men really uncomfortable to the point of wanting to like teach them a lesson. And that's that's my 
interpretation of mm-hmm. of this situation. I think she and I don't know Colby. It's like I, I don't feel like she was running a brothel. There's testimony or there's there's a quote from her her family physician who says that she was asking him to talk to her 19 year old daughter and ask her to keep more regular hours and not go not go out partying at night. And I think she was a concerned mom and that maybe she was a little bit seemed a little bit trashy. I love trashy. So she she had to be a little bit on the wild side of life just being a lady barber. I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's just <Yeah>. um <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of evidence to me that points, you know, they were not like super straight and narrow people. They were probably some kind of fringe element people, but I agree with you that there's no evidence that they were actually, you know, running a brothel. I definitely think Thelma, the daughter, was a wild child. She ended up in vaudeville, which was Mm. also completely kind of a wild thing to do. Yeah, this is at a time when actresses are are just assumed to be prostitutes, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's starting to change in the late 20s, but that was Mm. very much the idea. If you were an actress, you traveled around, you could have a boy in every town, and you were up there, you know, wanting wanting attention and mostly for your looks and Mm. performing in front of people. And that was very that was considered to be very like low class behavior. Thelma, Thelma, I love I love vaudeville. I'm a vaudeville nerd. She did the cycle whirl act, which was legit. Like first it was bicycles and then later motorcycles where they would like basically ride in like a weird cage thing in a circle, you know, upside down. Yeah. And (laughs) so she did that on the Pantages circuit. Badass. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think that that informs it too, right? So if there was a woman who was from Bellingham, who had family connections here, was somebody that was middle class, and she had opened a barbershop and made a huge effort to be seen as a very respectable, like, you know, we see weird references in historic advertisements all the time when women are trying to do something that it's like, this is a respectable shop. You know, we are only the Mm -hmm. utmost professionalism. And so if she had really been like marketing herself that way, had local connections, I think there's a possibility that people would have kind of raised some eyebrows and made some silly jokes about it. But I don't think that there would necessarily have been this treatment. I do think that she was just operating a regular ass barbershop. It was legit, though, like a bikini barista. I mean, you think that's what it was like? I mean, in a lot of ways. You know, like without the bikini, but the same sort of like stigma or associations. I mean, you're not going to open a bikini barista stand without knowing you're going to get some attention like that. Right. No, I have zero qualms with bikini baristas or lady barbers. I'm just saying. And Bellingham I mean, I feel like in the last 10 years, Bellingham like viscerally rejected the opening of a bikini barista at one point in town, right? There was some kind of like, how can we get us an ordinance that makes this impossible? Jeez, I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) And so we have a long history of really not accepting the idea that women can make those sorts of choices. It's really common in Bellingham to be really anti-trashy. We we are a nice, respectable community and we want nice, respectable place. And yes, of course, in the, you know, in the 1920s, we've got some brothels, but we have them operate a very specific way so that you don't really see the women. They're not coming and going in the middle of the day. And if we're going to have those sorts of resources for our men that are obviously needed, then we're going to do it in a way that's really respectful and you're not playing by our rules. I think there's a possibility 
necessarily they really did think that she was operating a brothel, but I think it might have just come from like not being able to understand why she would want to do this at all unless it was to operate as a brothel or feeling like even if she's not operating a brothel and she and her daughter isn't having, you know, sex for money, that the way that they're carrying on is making the male neighbors really uncomfortable. They don't want to see a woman be like, yeah, sometimes I stay here, stay overnight here with my boyfriend. And they don't want to see another woman be like, yeah, you know, like part of the deal of why people are getting my hair, their haircut with me is that it's kind of a thrill for them. You know, they just it, it just rubbed up against their ideas about what was proper and what was what was supposed to be done. And they knew that they could work to push her out of town just because of their access to power. Mm -hmm. So Bellingham being anti-trashy. So you're saying that classism has been a thing for a while <laughs> yeah. in Whatcom County or classism. Bellingham. And racism and sexism and all of these stories pretty much that we're going to tell you are all intersecting and they're all yeah. um, they're all causing a lot of problems um, for people. And we have these very specific ideas about the social roles of women at this time in our history, and they're just starting to be pushed up against. Colby, do you remember the story of the bloomers of the lady or the harem pants? Oh, yeah. I want to say it was 1909. There was this, of course, scandal that women were wearing pants. <laughs> and um, yeah, the, there was a local store actually selling pants. They're basically hammer pants, right? Yeah, they totally they hammer looked, pants. It's kind of like, or, or oh like God. they're bunched up around the ankles, right? But they're big and blousy so that that kind of looks like a skirt. And then except for when someone's walking, then it looks yes. like pants. Yeah. There was kind of another variation on them, too, that were more like culottes or something, you know, where they were bell-bottomy looking. And sometimes they had like an extra panel to make it look more like a skirt. <laughs> but it was pants underneath. Oh, yeah, like almost like a long apron or a long skirt, like the world's longest skirt. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so women were wearing these for a couple of reasons. It was easier to do things like ride a horse, ride a bicycle, uh, <laughs> etc. So it was kind of that was uh, there's you'll see a lot of advertisements for bicycles with women in bloomers. And that's kind of a scandalous thing. But yeah, these ladies were just walking down the street in the latest harem pants fashion, and they were basically like rustled into a store and sort of citizens arrested. <laughs> caused this big scandal. They were like young, like teenage girls, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because of course, it's like nowadays when you're like, oh my gosh, that I can see that young lady's butt cheeks out of her, hanging out of her shorts, and I'm so scandalized. I think that was kind of the butt cheeks <laughs> of its time. <laughs> Except could you imagine getting arrested because your butt cheeks were hanging out of your shorts? I'd be like half of my eighth grade class. Right. I was just talking to my daughters about dress codes. <laughs> oh, really? Just when they were in school and like when I was in school, you know, we were all comparing like what we got in trouble for wearing to school, basically. Oh, spaghetti straps, man. That was like the thing at my school. You know what I got in trouble for wearing to middle school? Mm. It was actually my dad's military beret, which I thought was like punk rock or something. And they told me that it was not allowed for me to wear a hat in the building. And I was like, well, actually, that's an old fashioned rule. And that was only for men had to remove their hats and women didn't. And they were like, well, this is our school. You have to take the hat off. <laughs> They're like, listen, Missy, <laughs> we get that you like history already. I know. <laughs> 
and oh my that, God. but just listen to the just just do what I say. So then the other thing that happened, Colby, right, with the pants, with the harem pants, was that they the the police went and like confiscated the rest of the pants. No, no, they didn't. Oh, come on. It's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the store just turned it into a huge publicity event and was like, come down here and come to our store where the scandalous harem pants are. Oh, I thought I remembered some like Bobby walking down there and being like, that's it. I'm taking all your pants now for ladies. <laughs> ladies can't wear pants. This is illegal and scandalous. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was specifically illegal yet in 1909. It might have been in different states. I mean, it just wasn't considered okay whatsoever and i'm sure they could arrest you on some other charge of like lewd living or something there there's all kinds of stupid weird vague charges lewd living i feel attacked (laughs) (laughs) that was a legit thing you'll see that in the paper all the time charged with lewd living or keeping what is it keeping a house no houses of ill fame there was one that was like Basically, keeping a messy house, but like, or like disorderly an, house. Yeah, keeping a disorderly house, which got used for all kinds of stuff. It was like you let people drink in your living room after prohibition was keeping a disorderly house, or like it could be that you didn't, you have a junky yard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it could be anything. Yeah, it was just kind of used. I haven't swiffered the dog hair this week, so <laughs> disorderly exactly. house busted. You're keeping it. <laughs> yes. And it was the woman who got charged with it also. Most of the prostitution arrests and charges throughout the entire 1920s was under vagrancy, which just was a big blanket term for like anyone they considered not an upstanding citizen. This is also happening. This story, this thing that's happening to Lorena Upper in 1922 is after a long period of time that when you look at the police, if you look at the arrest records in Bellingham, there are all of these um, examples of black men being arrested for either vagrancy or for pimping and they were arrested for vagrancy if they were basically you know existing while black in downtown or any part of bellingham and then if they arrested for pimping which was it was it was legal to be a madam in or allowed to be a madam at different points in history in bellingham but they absolutely enforced anti-pimping laws they did not want men to be in charge of sex work they thought that that's how you got violence i can tell you the exact wording of the anti-pimping law Ooh, please do <laughs> it just said that no man shall profit off the earnings of a fallen woman. <laughs> so I, I love that because it's just like, again, there's so much weird. What is the legal definition of a fallen woman? Like, how is that even pursuable? I just don't understand it. A fallen and I can't get up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If you give me $5, I'll help you up. Was that illegal? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say also that might be my first ever tattoo. The uh, no man should profit off the uh, work of a fallen woman. Yeah, no man shall. No man should profit from the earnings of a fallen woman. Tattooed right on my ass. I love that. Yeah, I feel like it's also kind of like a. It's kind of like a fortune cookie saying or something. It's like a weird. <laughs> it doesn't really sound like something that's enforceable. Anyway, so it was really common for black men to get arrested for for profiting off of a fallen woman. So if you, for example, were a piano player in a brothel, or you worked security in a brothel, or you did errands for a madam, they could use that against you. And when you look at old arrest records, they would like raid a brothel that wasn't operating the way that they thought it was supposed to. And they would arrest all, all the men. And in the arrest records, it'll say like the guy's name, his race, his age, and what, he, what he's being arrested for and what the outcome is. Over and over and over again, if they were black, 
they were brought up on charges of pimping. But if it was a white person who was performing music or spending time in a brothel, it was it would say like vagrancy or or sometimes it would still say pimping, but they would be like sent home or given a fine. But the black men over and over again are sent out of town in various ways. Mm -hmm. They're put on a train to Seattle or Vancouver. They're put on a boat to Seattle or Vancouver. It's interesting because we've had this history of basically telling black men how they are allowed to exist in our town. And also we see what's happening with Lorena. I see that as an extension of that. The white male moneyed or middle class people that want to exert certain their idea their ideas of certain morals are making it really clear that we can run you out of town. And that's how they dealt with with what they thought was undesirable. So it's not surprising to me that this is mm-hmm. how she was treated, but it is it is really indicative of part of the whole bad town part of the whole reason we wanted to talk about what like why why bad town there was always some kind of idea about about who has access to power and who wants to to do everything they can to maintain it and who has an idea of what Bellingham is supposed to be and look like and who is included in that and if you if we don't think that you should be included if we think you're a trashy woman or if we or if we see you as a black man we will do everything we can to sort of push you out. And it's a really it's a really disappointing part of our history, but I think it's a really fascinating one that we have a lot to learn from. Yeah, definitely. So in the end, how how did things end up for Lorena? Yeah, the trail kind of runs out on her. It's not exactly clear what became of her and her family other than Thelma, who clearly went on to be a cycle world girl in the vaudeville circuit. Lorena divorced her husband in King County on the grounds of non-support. So I'm presuming she probably remarried in another state, which is why it's been hard to find a record of where she went. And that's about it for Lorena, as far as I know. Yeah. And it's interesting that she she sues her husband for non-support. It makes me feel like she probably could just really gave up on the idea that she was going to be a lady barber. She was also maybe aging out of that if the idea mm-hmm. was that you're supposed to be kind of sexy and yeah. um, attractive. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was she had a baby at a young age and clearly wasn't with Thelma's father. We're not even sure who he was. Um, so, you know, maybe she hooks up with her husband out of sort of just desperation or goes into the lady barber thing, trying to make it on her own. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. But by the time, yeah, her daughter's kind of grown up and gone off on her own. It's not clear what happens to Lorena after that. And we don't see a lot of women cutting men's hair in Bellingham for a long time after that. We haven't done like a big deep dive on (laughs) this, but we don't see a lot of women barbers. And like even today, it's kind of rare to see, you know, there's some barbershops in town that's, you know, we don't see a lot of examples of um, women cutting men's hair after that. And I think that these sorts of these sorts of stories kind of stay in the like oral history and in the rumor mill for a while in some communities. And I think you kind of get the picture that this isn't you're not necessarily going to succeed at this in Bellingham. It's it's really interesting to me how, you know, those were just such gendered spaces. Barbershops, you know, were like an extension of a saloon, cigar store. That was a man's world. I mean, in in general, like the public sphere was a male space and you had to be careful going through it as a woman. 
and go to the the only the allowed places mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the allowed clothing, no harem pants. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think um, Lorena is a perfect example. Her story is a perfect example of exactly what you're talking about. Try, someone trying to push up against that idea and being met with a lot of resistance. Yeah. A male dominated community that was paranoid about trashy women. <laughs> What's what's funny to me is that after Lorena's case, you know, is over and she's gone out of our out of the picture, that building goes on to become the upstairs is the notorious brothel, the Tama Rooms. And it was there, I'd say, from the mid 1920s, operated up through the 50s. And there's a lot of interesting little stories about that place. But when it was actually torn down and condemned, I think it was George Hunsby, who's who was a local history writer. He said that, you know, there were all the men were gathered in barber shops, ironically, and there was not a dry eye when they were tearing down the Tamarooms brothel. <laughs> My favorite story about that place is that they were. Um, they would host an Easter egg hunt in the brothel every year. Yeah. I'm just, I find that to be fascinating. I just am like, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I just don't know why you would want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining like little kids dressed up like re- really creepy old timey bunnies. Yes. But I think it was for the men. The men It was were definitely an adults only affair. <laughs> oh, where they hid those eggs makes you wonder. Yeah. <laughs> But I like I like that you Annika, Annika you thought that they were just like the pillars of the community hosting an Easter egg hunt in the brothel for all the kitties. <laughs> there was also said to be a, um, a trail running from the back of that building directly down to the the lumber mill site, which former Georgia Pacific and Puget Sound pulp and timber mill. <laughs> like a, a path that had been beaten yeah. there. Yeah, so yeah it was it like get off work, you go to the tamarooms, just mm-hmm. right. up the hill, up the trail. It's interesting. And it's interesting that she's there at this time and maybe her kind of her reputation stains that place and they're like and and it's hard to get it rented or people are starting to think of that part of town as being the bad side of town. And that's how the brothel opens up there. I don't know. But it's interesting Mm -hmm. that that ends up being the location of uh, of a brothel after that. So, yeah, it's not a it's not necessarily a a happy ending, but it's an interesting ending. Mm hmm. Uh, Well, that was great. Thank you so much for sharing the story of Lorena Upper with me. That sounded too like me. (laughs) Fuck it. We're leaving it. (laughs) We'll be back next week with more Bad Town. I don't know. Do we have things we want to add about this, Ren? You've been, you're like, you're a hair person now. I know. I'm a hair person now. And I, um, yeah, after hearing the episode, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. We want Ren to be our lady barber. I mean. We're going to start a sexy lady barber shop. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a dream come true. Literally, I will wear suspenders. I will have a strop. Uh, <laughs> I will have a sharp implement at your throat. So, but yes, I've been in beauty school for the last over a year and I'm just about to graduate. So it's really exciting. And I love combining these two passions. I like doing historic hair and I like learning yeah. about it. And I learned a lot of new things. Just kind of doing a little little deep dive yeah, yeah. into this episode. <laughs> it's pretty cool. 
So let's see. Oh, yeah, I was going to just say about the episode, I found out that, you know, in the 1920s, time that Lorena yeah. Upper is is working, um, this is when, obviously, we get the, like, we get the bob haircuts and yeah. women in droves just lobbing off their hair. But at this point in American history, we didn't really have salons. That yeah. was not a thing yet. Because you would either do your hair yourself, you had long locks and you'd braid it or put it up or you yeah. had your servants do it, yeah. right? So if you wanted to get your hair cut with the sharp implement, yeah, you, you would have to go to a barber. I never really even thought about that because Isn't you, that fascinating? you do see some like weird beauty parlors. Mm-hmm. But I was always like, what the hell are these? What are they doing? Right. Because the distreatments and things, it was more like, it was more like weird, um, like they'd massage your face with those vibrators. The electric vibrators yeah. and stuff like the... Um, and like they'd sell the hair switches. Yeah. That you would like, put, like extra put in hair, there, yeah, like yeah. you needed even more because nobody was cutting their hair. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody's. You don't cut your. No, hair. No, they did not cut. That's it. not a thing no. you do. So yeah, when you want it lobbed off and like cute and like yeah, they were a like, straight line, they, they go to the male. <laughs> they go to barber. the man barber, and you know, at first these dudes, and in some places, these dudes are like, hell no. But then they're like, wait, we're getting a lot of business right. from these ladies um <laughs> there was some <laughs> cute quotes about it being like yeah the women they just you would think they would have been a little more like shy about it but they walk in and they know exactly what they want <laughs> and they walk out it's pretty cool it's like the that's the adorable. beginning of that and they just yeah. i think that's so fascinating um and so then you know by turn even these days we don't have a lot of female barbers there's, no there's not a lot of female barbers in the trade they're becoming more i think bellingham has a couple bellingham does have a couple yay some old school ones yes some like ladies who have been around for a little (laughs) while which is cool and then you know i'm seeing my classmates and things like that really get into that art and also we get a lot of more you know gender fluid totally clients and so like you know a buzz cut or a cool fade is cool for everybody yeah so that's pretty cool i think we're gonna see the industry changing just a little bit i like that idea that that we're getting away from like barbershops for men and beauty salons for women you know like come on there is room for everyone it is all hair (laughs) i still you know i have a lot of respect for you know the way barbering kind of came up and sure and uh the skill the trade yeah yeah a lot of that just for hair in general, how it's oh, really totally. passed down. Like, you know, you, you have to be there. You have to have your hands in it. Yeah. You have to have your, like, love I in know. it. So. I think about that a lot, too, with, like, other bodily hair and the beauty services. <laughs> right. You know, with women it, where oh, it's, yeah. like, waxing and sugaring and all these things that have mm. been, like, parts of cultures all over the world Forever, for so right? long. And it's all word of mouth mm-hmm. passed down. It's very very cool oral kind of almost history yeah you can't learn it out of a book um <laughs> but they will charge you twenty thousand dollars to go to school for it <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> oh my god um but yeah so you know there were these male barbers that are working on women so that's kind of becoming more of an option right. but then still females working on men is a little rare but it's starting to right. maybe become a thing still really taboo so i can imagine that you know maybe lorena like we said, she was learning in San Francisco and these big cities. Yeah. And then coming to little Bellingham is yeah. probably going to be a little rough to begin with. Yeah. But Bellingham was a port town with brothels everywhere. Yes. It was the towns that she lived in pointed to a pattern to me and where she is probably yeah. 
living the life a little bit. Oh, totally. <laughs> and anything women do is going to be sexualized. Yeah. But, like, yeah, she, she, well, and you know, her history points to yeah. a little bit of and a rowdy. I'm like, I'm totally down with that. Oh, and, like, yeah. it's like vaudeville. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you were a woman in vaudeville yeah. and you were traveling around, you were treated or thought of. Like a, like a prostitute. Whether or not you were was irrelevant. Yeah. It was seen very much as like overtly sexualized behavior. Yeah. And you know what you're doing. Yeah. Know, right. Yeah. And so probably very much the same for yeah. Marina. I think that was really yeah. interesting that you like, yeah, to point that out is pretty cool. And yeah, then interesting that like, I don't know if, if the neighbors had a hard time with her because she wasn't being overt about what she was doing because then the yeah. brothel moves in. Right. Right. So. You know, hard to say. I know. I would really love to see the actual trial transcripts because it's hard to just get anything from what the paper is reporting. It's kind of... That's all going to be very skewed, like you said. And they don't report everything. They just report little bits. Right. So... Yeah. You were telling me earlier, like, there was probably some lewd shit in there that they probably would not have just said straight out in the paper. It's much harder to get your hands on transcripts if they exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And I did... I don't remember if we talked about this in the episode. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, (laughs) but I did. I'm bummed because I tried to go back and kind of see if I could pick up on on like Thelma's trail because Thelma, the daughter, you know, she Mm -hmm. went into vaudeville and was doing the cycle whirl, which I love. And I did find a cute picture of her. So we'll put that in (sighs) show notes. It's not great. It's like a grainy newspaper, but it's still (laughs) her little 20s. Really great. Bicycle girl outfit. And vaudevillians use stage names. And so, you know, she went by Thelma Cannon for uh, three or four years while she was doing that cycle whirl. And then she just disappears. That name is clearly no longer being used so mm. i don't know if something happened to her right or if she just started going by a different, by different stage name. name yeah but i think she must have passed away before her mother yeah because i did trace lorena's you know married like three more times and <laughs> she actually times? lived a Lord long about. life she lived to be like 80 but her obituary names like two sisters that were still living but does not name her daughter Thelma or mm. any husbands. So mm. so she was the eldest of five sisters. Her parents were William S. Ham and Ida Frances Eberly. And her father was a farm laborer who just worked on like other people's fruit farms. This is mm. down in like Mendocino, okay. California area. And the parents split up. They had those five daughters they were probably like teenagers to adults okay. and they both uh, ended up with other people, like hmm. remarried to other people. Not a real stable, I don't know what the home situation is, was, but that was kind of unusual for back then. I was going to say, yeah. So, yeah. And then Ida moved to the city and ran rooming houses in San Francisco and Oakland. Ooh. So that's the mom. Okay. And then out of the five daughters... Of which Lorraine is the oldest. Her sisters, Blanche and Maddie, whose birth name was Elva Marie. Oh, wow. Yeah, Maddie was a good choice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She went by Maddie. So Blanche and Maddie both worked as Lady Barbers. Oh, my God. It's a family affair. Which I had never noticed before. And then I just happened to go back and was like, wait. So she's a barber. This is a whole thing. I know. And so I'm so intrigued. They did mention she was in San Francisco, right? She was yeah, in some big cities. She goes back to San Francisco, yeah. too, by the 40s. She ends right. up back there. Interesting. Um, and their lives kind of followed similar patterns in other ways. So Maddie, for instance, was married about six times. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> uh, Blanche only married twice, but the first time she was 14. Damn. Uh, that's a hard and life. And by the 1910 census, she was 17 years old, widowed. And working as a servant in a private household. So, obviously, she, like, finds her way to being a lady barber from there. Boy, oh, boy. But apparently her second husband was cool with that. Um, They never had children, but they stayed married for quite a long time while she was a lady barber. Oh, I like that. Yes. All right. Blanche. That was Blanche. Yeah. So, both of those sisters worked in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And then Lorena, of course, went back there. Lorena was kind of around. She was getting... She went around. thing. Yeah. But she was the oldest. So she was probably like, I'm out of here. You know, the parents' marriage falls apart. She takes off. But I'm like, whose idea was the barbering? Right. Where did the barbering come in? Yeah. They're in a kind Mm -hmm. of a desperate woman, all of them, situation, working in kind of... And maybe in the less uptight mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of parts of yeah. society, right? So. so that kind of brings us to this book, okay? So oh, we don't have okay. a diary of Lorena, oh. unfortunately. But I was looking up something Lady Barber related, and I came across this book. Oh, my God. Um, and I ordered it because I was like, oh, God, I have to read this. So this is a book uh, by Edward Dahlberg, and it's his autobiography. It's called Because I Was Flesh. And honestly, I'd never heard of this guy before, yeah. but he's pretty well known in like literary circles. And his writing is very writery. It's like, <laughs> it's very intellectual yes. and like, you know. Okay. But so he was born in 1900. And so when he was a very small boy, he, he was illegitimate. And so his mother became a lady barber in the early 1900s. Ah. So it's like a huge part of this story. Ah. Is and it's so it's an autobiography. So he's describing Aww. it. So I'm like, oh, I need to read this. Uh, and so it does predate Lorena's time, obviously sure. by a little bit. But it was the cutting edge of like the first lady yeah. barber. Oh, like early on. Yeah, That's so cool. And so I got about halfway through. Basically, I read all the parts of the lady barber. <laughs> And yeah, <laughs> TLDR. <laughs> I did. I found this blog online by Steve Paul, who's editor and columnist for the Kansas City Star, who talks yes. about this being a Kansas City-based book. Right. And he describes it maybe better than I can. He says Dahlberg memorialized and rhapsodized over his mother in his autobiography "Because I Was Flesh," which it was published in the mid 1960s. He says, the book is poetically lush and feverishly frank about personal and sexual anxieties. It's full of classical and biblical allusions, elevated language that could stop a casual reader in her tracks, and colorfully resonant descriptions of Kansas City in the early 20th century. Oh, my God. Which I was like, yes. That's yes, that's right. please. <laughs> But so his mother, her name was Lizzie. Her yes. barbershop was called the Star Lady Barbershop. Oh my god, I love that. Isn't that cute? That's so cute. And basically, it's it's just what we were saying. Like it's 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 not a brothel outright. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Like, but it is on the CD, it's in the CD part of town right. and brothels are nearby. And she had a lot of complicated relationships with men who mm-hmm. came to her barber chair. Yeah. There were a lot of girls working for her that were definitely making extra money. Oh my god. Doing sexual work. Okay. Um, and so it was definitely you know, it gave that vibe of, yeah, it's just a barber shop, mm-hmm. but it's, mm. it's a certain kind of... On the edge of a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
Fascinating. So he gets sent to an orphanage, and but when he comes back and he's <laughs> older, he's like kind of embarrassed of his mom and her weird occupation and her life. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So then he goes off to New York and he eventually becomes this fancy pants author and, and writer. Then he's, you know, in the 60s. You know, yeah. Like, cool. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I mean, he obviously, when he's he, older, he loves his mom, and but mm. his writing is very interesting. I cannot wait to read yeah, it. It's cool. I'm so excited. It's interesting. And all, they also all stole from each other. Like, <laughs> all the women who like worked in this really? barbershop were always like pilfering from each other. All right. Okay. Interesting. It just has like, you know, desperate times, desperate oh lives kind of vibes. Such a cool, oh my mm-hmm, God. Just mm-hmm. just another really cool perspective yeah. of history that you really don't get. And yes. Thank goodness that Edward decided to write about his mom. That's yes. so fucking cool. And then there's, this is a quote that he wrote about Kansas City in later in life. And he said, I have never forgotten how I imagined an 8th Street Kansas City brothel smelled. The <laughs> prostitutes occupied rooms upstairs over baskets, chili con carne lunch counter which was next to a saloon and the first lady barbershop in kc where part-time street walkers and fast chippies cut the hair of round-shouldered ranchers from lincoln nebraska or dallas texas oh my god you know what it reminds me kind of of is like remember remember those little house on the prairie episodes when they went to the they had to move to the big city yes (laughs) it's like that kind of shenanigans shit going down just barbers (laughs) That are cutting man's hires, the yeah. ladies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Chili con carne lunch counter. <laughs> Next to the saloon and the brothel. Hot damn. And the lady barber. Oh my God, that is beautiful. I want to be there in Kansas City. I know. Yeah. And so, yeah, again, I just uh, imagine that there's, it's like, it's like a massage parlor. Yeah. So you have yeah. some that are legit mm-hmm. upstanding and then you definitely have the ones where yeah. you might there's the code get a happy ending yes <laughs> i wonder what the code was right, like, tug right? on the ear or like, yeah yes, yes. so i, I think that. it's it's it just kind of gave me some more insight into i think that's lady yeah that's shops. nice to like hear that there yeah. is that like little bit of yeah they were a little seedy <laughs> they didn't have to be but right <laughs> it also made me think too when you were saying that it's like especially 1900s when Lizzie is going you know doing yeah. the thing you know this is the beginning of women going out in public on their own and we talked exactly. about that in other episodes yeah. where like they're having to use fucking hat pins to keep the men away yes. like you couldn't even yes. just be a woman on the street without having mm-hmm. harassment so imagine yeah. if you're going to have a lady barbershop you have to be prepared for that yeah. and that ha- that it is talks a thing in there about her like cuz i get the feeling that Lizzie is not prostituting right. herself per she's se just but she does money. definitely she's a little <laughs> yeah. playing a little fast and loose with men who are it's a it's interesting it's still considered yeah. you know racy what she yes. does yes yes right. yes and, and she's, she's making getting money into that. sexual situations with men who come to her barber shop if even if she's not specifically being paid being paid for that but act. she has all these times where you know, men do grab and grope and do all these things. And she's, like, got a razor in her hand, though. I know. Can you imagine? So she would, like, whoops, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, please remove your hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> from my thigh. <laughs> I have a razor at your neck. Right. This is a required reading for all new hairstylists and lady barbers. That is ballsy to be a dude and be like, getting all fresh with a woman who has a straight razor to your neck. Right. Anyway. In Kansas City. Accidents (laughs) happen in Kansas City. (laughs) Nobody cares. 
<laughs> okay, so that's my little update. Oh, I love it, Colby. Okay. All right. Again, amazing research, Colby. Love it. Thanks for that. I think that's that's pretty fascinating. And then when the good time girls win the lottery or get a <laughs> sugar person. Yeah, a sugar person. <laughs> uh, we're looking. <laughs> we're taking applications. If anyone wants to rent that basement at the, the bank building in Fairhaven, and we can turn it into a very cool nightclub slash old vaudeville theater slash lady barber shop slash museum. Yes. Slash bookstore. Uh, what else have we dreamed of? Roller skating. <laughs> Roller we do that in there. I think we could. It's big. <laughs> it's pretty big. We could make a little loop. I mean, we could only let like five people in at a time, but we could still do it. We've got so many big dreams. We have big dreams, Bellingham. So you know, let us know. You got some investment money? <laughs> I mean, we're beloved. <laughs> Just say. <laughs> All right, you guys. <laughs> All right, Colby, let's wrap okay, it up. Okay, that wraps up. <laughs> the episode (laughs) that wraps up the episode well hey there mama where'd you go you gotta reap just what you sow that's too bad too bad We would like to thank you all for listening to Belling History and Bad Down with the Good Time Girls. Do subscribe and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. Like us on all the social medias. Check out our tours, events, read our show notes and blog at bellinghistory.com. always we'd like to thank Devin Champlin and the late great Lucas Hicks for the use of the Gallus Brothers song Too Bad West Coast Blues. You can find the Gallus Brothers and Devin Champlin tunes on Bandcamp and you can find Devin Champlin at Champlin Guitars here in Bellingham, Washington. Lost my hat, lost my brim, looking like a coast that's swinging from a limb that's too bad, too bad. But I got no bugging, I got no smokes, I look like Grandpap and all of his folks that's too bad. Time for more Bad Town with Belling History.